the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever near. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride. She is the keeper of my soul. She is the church of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rick Breidenbaugh of the Gospel Defender Ministries. Today's message, Forward March, will encourage and equip all who have ears to hear to be Christians, clothed with the armor of a Gospel Defender. Ladies and gentlemen, when the 14th chapter of Exodus opens, God's people are on the verge of escaping their captivity in Egypt. The centuries of their captivity had been very trying times for the Hebrew children. When the second book of the Old Testament begins, they were being severely oppressed by a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Jacob's son, who in earlier days had gained favor with another Pharaoh. But now the Hebrews were increasing in number and were a threat to the new king's power. We can only imagine what it would be like if something similar to this could be said of the followers of Christ today, that they were increasing in number, creating a threat to those in power who are not guided by God Almighty. The threat to the Egyptian hierarchy was the baby boys. Too many of them were being born. The government had a solution to the problem. The solution was to have these baby boys killed by throwing them in the River Nile at birth. But the midwives feared God more than they feared the king of Egypt. They saved the male children alive. Of course, it doesn't today make any difference whether you are a male or a female. If your conception is an inconvenience to mom, or if you know who the dad is, to him, an abortion specialist will take care of the inconvenience. He doesn't throw the baby in a river. He throws the baby into a trash can. 
and the laws of the king and his court have legitimized all of this. There is little, if any, fear of God in the hearts of those in power. In Exodus, God took notice of all of this, and on the day of judgment, it may surprise many that God has also taken notice of all of this in Christian America. The Hebrews may have been in captivity, but they had not been forgotten by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Providentially, he saw to it that when one particular baby boy was born, he was saved from being drowned. The new king had ordered in Exodus 1.22 that every son who was born you shall cast into the river. The baby boy that God had chosen to deliver his people from their bondage was cast into the river, not to drown, but for his salvation from the wicked king. Moses was cast into the river inside the safety of an ark of bulrushes daubed with asphalt and pitch. This is what happens to those who decide to be saved from their sins by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who want to escape their captivity to sin and leave the sinful courts of the world behind for a life of forgiven sin enter the waters of baptism to be placed in the ark of the New Testament Church of Christ that someday will be taken up to be with the Lord. Most of you who are listening to me know the history. Moses was rescued by the king's daughter, placed into the care of his biological mother, and grew up to be a man in the Pharaoh's court. But as it is written in Hebrews 11:24, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. One day, while tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, God spoke to him from a burning bush and said, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Rather than taking the easy life, Moses decided to take on the king by demanding that the king let God's people go. He did this not by leading from behind, but by leading the only way that effective leadership can lead, eyeball to eyeball and toe to toe with the most powerful man on earth at the time. Beginning in Exodus 5, the head-to-head -head battle between God's man, Moses, and Satan's man, the Pharaoh, was waged. The messenger of God never changed his message. Let my people go, that they may serve me. When Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand, let my people go. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. 
to motivate the Pharaoh to submit to God's will, the Lord brought ten plagues down upon Pharaoh and his people. The Lord gave the Pharaoh every opportunity to repent and to submit, but he wouldn't. God deals with people like the Pharaoh the same way today. He is kind and gracious. He still is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But most people, like the Pharaoh, are stubborn and hard-hearted toward Christ and his word. So someday God will give them the most severe plague of all, the plague of an eternal life separated from him in a place called hell. Just as it will be in the end of the ages, in the case before us, God won the battle. The last plague, the death of all the firstborn of Egypt, broke Pharaoh's hold on God's people, and for at least a moment in time, the Pharaoh let God's people go. After they left, he again pursued them, only to be swallowed up in the waters of the sea that had been divided for the safe passage of God's people. The Apostle Paul described it in 1 Corinthians 10.2 as their baptism into Moses in the cloud and the sea. It was this Old Testament baptism that saved Moses and God's people from the Pharaoh's sword. It is not possible for us not to see the typology in all of this. Men and women, boys and girls, have been offered an escape plan from their captivity to sin and its consequences by the death of God's firstborn, Jesus of Nazareth. Those who accept God's plan have been baptized into Christ for their deliverance from sin's hold on them and for the forgiveness of their sins. But as the Christian lives his life following his salvation, the one greater than the Pharaoh, the old serpent, the devil, continues to hound his every footstep. By the time that we get to Exodus 14, the backs of the Hebrew children were against the proverbial wall. The Red Sea was before them, and the Egyptian army was behind them, rapidly closing in. Those whom God had delivered from the harsh hand of the Pharaoh, in fear, cried out to the Lord, and then they cried out to Moses, It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. It seems that sometimes this is the attitude of some in the church. The world of denominationalism is too big and too strong. Why even try to hold on to the apostles' doctrine when we are so outnumbered? The postmodern church, the emergent church, is attracting so many more people than we are. Why don't we just give up and join the winning side? Some in the church have hearts that either have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fell away, or are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. In either case, they are just like these people of Exodus 14, who were more than ready to go back to Egypt than to stand firm in their faith and continue marching forward toward the land that had been promised to them. Finally, the answer to the people's dilemma came forth. 
It came forth from the mouth of God. The solutions to all of men's dilemmas are found in the mouth of God, His Word. And the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 14, 15, Tell the children of Israel to go forward. That was the only direction that they could go. They would have been destroyed if they had not gone forward. The Egyptians would have had no mercy on them. It didn't look possible to them to go forward. The sea, the huge deep sea was before them. But so was their God, who not only could turn water into blood, but also who could turn water back into two walls. One wall of water on their right hand and one wall of water on their left to provide a pathway for their escape from Egypt and their entrance into the promised land. As it was in the days of Noah, so it was in the days of the Pharaoh and his army. The same water that saved Noah and his family, but destroyed the wicked, that instrument that God used to save the Hebrew children, but destroyed the Pharaoh who refused to acknowledge him as God Almighty also was water. Those same two walls of water collapsed on the great Egyptian Pharaoh and his army and killed them all when God's Old Testament Savior Moses again stretched out his hand over the sea. God said, Forward, march! And when his people took him at his word, they were victorious. When Moses and the children of Israel got to the other side, they sang the song of Exodus 15. The lesson from all of this is that God's work has always been forward. His work in the creation went from void and darkness to light and beauty, from plant and animal life to human life that was created in the image of God. In redemption, his work went from his announcement of the plan for redemption in Genesis 3.15 to the birth of the Redeemer in Matthew 1, verses 21 through 25 to the Redeemer saying, It is finished in John 19, verse 30. In the case of the church, she went from a dozen men to thousands of men, women, boys, and girls. God's work has never been and never will be backward. The Lord and His Church of the New Testament do not have the words retreat or quit in her vocabulary, or at least she ought not. The problem is we sing, preach, and teach this truth better than we live, practice, and manifest this truth. The world is going to hell faster than sliding down a greased sliding board because the church has stopped singing onward Christian soldiers and started living backward Christian soldiers. Backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the flight with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. Christ, our rightful master, stands against the foe, but forward into battle, we are loath to go. God told Moses to tell the children of Israel to go forward. New Testament Israel, the Church of Christ, must go in the same direction. Forward, march. The church knows this is true, but in most places she is not doing it for whatever reason, none of which is acceptable to the Lord of the church. 
When we examine why this failure is so common in the church, we discover there are at least seven unholy culprits. First, there is the unread book. When the book that has the plan for the church is not read and not followed, apostasy and sin follows. God will not bless either. Second, there is the unconvicted and unconverted heart. Hearts that are not convicted and not converted leads to lukewarmness, apathy, and indifference towards the things of God, spiritual things. God will not bless congregations with those kinds of hearts. Third, there is the unbended knee. The church can have all of the modern gizmos and gadgets that it takes to look like a church that's with it and on the move. But if her knee is not bent to and in recognition of the sovereignty and lordship of Jesus Christ, she will not go forward as forwardness is measured by God and his word. Fourth, there is the unpaid tithe. God robbers thwart the work of the church. Full-time laborers cannot be paid. Missions cannot be supported. Benevolence cannot be distributed. And the ministries that could be worked within the church do not get initiated or they go without. Fifth, there is the unruly tongue. Gossip and tail-bearing and backbiting in the church will devour and has devoured more than a few congregations of the Lord. Sixth, there is the unattended church, a local church that does not have all of her people attending all of the time in all of her assemblies is doomed to failure. The non-attendance of God's people does nothing for those who faithfully support her. If the church is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then is it not a sin to willfully absent the assembly in favor of a family member, a ball game, or a family reunion? Seventh, there is the unconcern for lost souls. David cried out in Psalm 142, verse 4, Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Hell will be filled with people who will be able to say, as did David, no one cared for my soul. If the church would only repent of not reading the book, of not having a convicted heart, of not bending her knee, of not paying her tithe, of having an unruly tongue, of not attending the holy called-out assembly, and of not having a concern for lost souls, she might, just might, see a revival once again, if not in the world, at least in the local assembly and in her community. It is for certain that she would be doing what God has always told her to do, march forward. When the church marches forward, she will have her eyes and her mind on the right object, things above, not on things on the earth. And then she will press on in the direction of perfection. 
Jesus said that no man who put his hand to the plow and looked back is fit for the kingdom. That was Lot's wife's problem. And Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 32, to remember her, not to imitate her, but to learn a lesson from her stupidity. Leaving the city of Sodom, she looked back and became a pillar of salt. God warned her not to do that, but she wouldn't listen. Her eyes were on the wrong object. Her eyes were on the city. If the church is going to forward a march, she must not look back, but always run forward with endurance the race that is set before us. And to do that, she must always look unto Jesus, who was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is not easy. One cannot be apathetic and indifferent towards him, his word, and his church and run that kind of race. It takes effort. It takes commitment. It takes involvement. But the dividends are great. Salvation, forgiveness, and heaven. The Christian does it for the right purpose. He does it not for his own personal glory or fame or prestige or honor. He does it for the glorification of his Lord, the Christ. We labor to make known the manifold wisdom of God to those who are not gods. It is all about him and nothing about us. The church must forward march because the enemy, the devil, is in hot pursuit. He is the roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. He comes in the form of denominational doctrines and creeds, in the form of apostasy and sin and division, and all that is not good and wholesome and right and holy. He is determined to take as many as he can to hell with him when the day of judgment arrives. It is true that progress under adversity is tough and difficult, but when progress is made under those circumstances, the lost, the unsaved, the wicked, the spiritually rebellious sit up and take notice of the supremacy of God. This is what happened in Exodus. Throughout their ordeal in leaving Egypt, God said time and time and time again, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When the plagues came, the Pharaoh and his people knew that Israel's God was greater than the 3,000 Egyptians' gods. When the sea parted, the Pharaoh and his people knew that Israel's God was the only God. I don't know what the Egyptians thought as the walls of the sea began to collapse on them, but surely one of their last thoughts must have been, their God is the real God after all. Unfortunately, this will be what millions will think while in hell. There was a God after all, but sadly, it will be too late. Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. Your foes shall not before you stand. Let my people go. And you'll possess fair Canaan's land. Let my people go.
This world's a wilderness of woe. Let my people go. Oh, let us on to Canaan go. Let my people go. Oh, let us all from bondage flee. Let my people go. And let us all in Christ be free. Let my people go. There's a battle going on for the souls of Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rick Reidenbaugh, and you have just heard another Gospel Defender Ministries radio broadcast. Remember, thus saith the Lord, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. So find someone today who will immerse you into Christ today before it is everlastingly too late. If we can help you to do this, do not wait to get in touch with us. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Our mailing address is the Gospel Defender Ministries, Post Office Box 575, Chillicothe, C-H-I-L-L-I-C-O-T-H-E, Chillicothe, Ohio, zip 45601. You can also contact us through the World Wide Web at www gospel-defender.org We need to hear from you as soon as possible. So take the time to do it right now. And now until next time at this same time our prayer is that you will be steadfastly set for the defense of the gospel. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.